Hey everybody, it's your girl, Charlamagne Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of little old Glassboro, New Jersey. You know it right here on blacksandradio.com. What's up? What's up? What up, y'all? Listen, I am just back from California. And, um, you know, I had never been to California before, so it was my first visit. And when I tell you, I could not have had a better visit to California to save my life. You understand what I'm saying? It was so awesome. Me and my partners at ITA Global were um, sponsors at the George Lopez Foundation Golf Tournament. Bay Bay. When I tell you, I met the likes of Smokey Robinson, um, Joe Pesci, Martin, uh, Roland Martin, um, Sugar Ray, um, oh my God, Cedric the Entertainer, um, Dondre, I can't think of his last name right now, the guy from Queen Sugar, um, that was Charlie's hot part throb, and, um, just, I mean, Anthony Anderson, um, uh, and of course, George Lopez. It was it was amazing. We met so many people and I got to talk to them and have meetings with people about just where we're going with regard to Black expats in Panama and how we, together with uh, ITA Global, are building communities abroad, baby. That's what we do and you understand? So it was a great, 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 great trip. And I'm just grateful to have had the chance to go. And y'all just stay tuned because there'll be more coming out of that. But as always, I have an amazing uh, guest with me today. And it's a great conversation. And I ain't got time to sit and chit and chit chat and smile, baby. We got to get right into it. But let me tell you something about this young lady. This young lady has so much going on that I'm actually going to do read a short bio for her, which I don't normally do when I'm introducing guests. But she just has so much going on that I don't want to uh, I don't want to miss any of it. And you'll, you'll see when we start to talk to, talk to her how uh, amazing she is. Her name is C. Nicole. She's a businesswoman. Song singer, songwriter, nonprofit founder, author, boutique owner, and pan Africanist. She is the co founder of the Natural Menstrual Pad Company, Wumbili, and owner of the online Ankara Boutique of the Root. Using her talents as a singer songwriter, she released the tribal trill, John Red, Pan African Think Tank, Volume One to uplift people of African descent with positive music that also incorporates their history. C. Nicole was the founder of the Pan-African Think Tank. That's how I met her, y'all. A nonprofit pushing to, for collective work and responsibility in cooperative economics. Sound like Kwanzaa, right? She has authorized the, and published um, books, Af American Presidential Parties, their relevance to people of African descent, and the children's book series, The Rain, which introduces children to ethnic groups in Africa and the African diaspora in a positive light. Traveling to 100 plus countries, including all seven continents before the age of 30. Do you understand the words that's coming out of my mouth? This young lady is absolutely amazing. 
Um, C. Nicole cites herself as a citizen of the world but calls Dallas, Texas, USA home. I mean, I, I just am so impressed with her um, that I had to have her on the show and she actually had contacted me so that I could do a workshop um, for her Fishing for Success, um, where she partnered with an organization here in Panama through the Pan-African um, Think Tank. And I talked to some young entrepreneurs in Panama about, you know, starting their business and giving them some tips and stuff. If you want to see that um, video of that little uh, workshop, it's available on our YouTube channel at Black Expats in Panama. So without further ado, you know the deal. I'm going to get this thing together, bring her on in. And um, y'all just stay tuned for a second while I get see Nicole. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama. Bye, way. Glasgow, New Jersey, right here on BlackZipRadio.com. Don't y'all go nowhere. I'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama. And I'm coming to you today to make sure that you know about our new Black Expats in Panama community platform. That's right, our BEAT community platform, or BCP. That can be found at blackexpatsinpanama.net. Just click on that link that says, join the community. There you will find businesses, groups, as members, you'll be um, privy to events. You can have you can sell things with the classified um, section. You'll get exclusive information offering and interviews. You get discounts on Black Expats in Panama meetups and tours and ITA global um, events as well and so much more. So go over there, check out the membership, see which one is right for you, and let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. Miss Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to have you because, you know, like I was just saying, you're such a mover and shaker. You're such <laughs> a mover and shaker. And, um, you know, it's just always inspiring, you know, to see young people doing so much. And um, I don't even know how old you are. I know you're a lot younger than I am. <laughs> um, but it is really good to see to see young people doing so much because, Young people, younger people than even younger people than yourself, they can so much more relate to you doing something amazing than, you know, somebody that's, you know, been around for 50 years and, you know, happened to do something great because then it just seems like, well, well she's old. But I think that for, mm -hmm. you know, people to be able to meet people like you is just um, inspiring and actually from both sides of the coin as an older woman and as younger people. So I just applaud you and I'm just so happy to have you on the show. Jump right in, introduce yourself, tell us a little about you and uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> okay. Um, I am C. Nicole. The C stands for Kristen, but you'd be surprised how many people cannot pronounce it. <laughs> so I, just <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. I just, they just call me Nicole. <laughs> um, I am 32. Um, 
I've always known what I wanted to do. So um, I've always known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. I've always been, I guess, rebellious, as my parents say, against the system. And um, I am an author. I write Pan-African books about Pan-African history. Um, I'm also the founder of a nonprofit, um, Pan-African Think Tank. We focus on education and entrepreneurship. I'm also um, one of the founders and co-owners of Wombly, the feminine care brand that we sell here in the United States. I'm also a singer-songwriter. Um, I also own my own marketing company. I'm just, I, as you said, I just don't want to work for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a, so you have a lot of jobs that you put together. Yes. Well, so out of all of those things that you do, um, which one do you love the most? Oh, I also forgot. I also own an online car boutique with dresses from Africa. Um, what do I love the most? Honestly, I love the music the most. Um, but obviously the one that makes me the most money is the marketing company. So <laughs> so the marketing company, and what's the name of the marketing company? Duly Noted Creative Group. Um, so oh. we focus on multicultural marketing, um, calls marketing and event management with also travel consultations here and there but i'm very selective on who i work with for those <laughs> yes that's that is awesome is that your background as far as school yes i have a degree in marketing so i've always just wanted to do music but my dad was not gonna let me go to school for music so i was like well the only other thing i think i can stand is marketing <laughs> You wasn't gonna be no music major, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> so where does the Afro, where does the the Pan African interest come into play? Where do yeah, you think so, that? Where did you get that from? Oh, it was a crazy story. So I actually studied abroad in Ghana when I was twenty, and I couldn't stand it. Like I could not stand it. I was like, "Ooh, I'm not ever going back to Africa. Like I'm good." Um, but then like around 24, 25, I was just like, you know what, there, Africa is a continent and there's other regions in Africa and maybe my personality fits along with other regions better. So I had, uh, went to North Africa and I was like, oh, it's not too bad. And then I got a chance to go to Southern Africa and Eastern Africa. And I was like, okay, it's not bad. Um, okay. my personality just only like fits really well with certain areas. So, so um, when you went to North Africa, where did you where did you go there? Um, I went to Morocco and Egypt. Okay. Uh huh. And then in Southern Africa, I've been to um uh, South Africa, Botswana, um Namibia. Some people call it Angola, Southern Africa, and then for East Africa, I've, I've basically almost touched every East African country. So have uh, you ever done your uh, ancestry dot com or one of the others? I've done them all. They have pinpointed me to um, tribes in West Africa. So um, Nigeria on my mother's side, like Yoruba and Fulani. And then on my father's side, Kipele and Liberia and the Fula and Ghana Basu and um, the Timne and another big tribe. I think it's Mende tribe in Sierra Leone from my dad's side. So 32 and you traveled to even just all of those places in Africa. I'm going to Egypt for the first time this year. I'm 59. Okay. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so you so, just started traveling what when you finished college or was it did you travel? Uh, my first yeah. time traveling was um I was 19. I studied abroad in London for a summer. And so when I was 20, I studied abroad in Ghana. And then when I turned 23, 24, that's when I decided to start traveling again. But because of I travel so much, I got to meet people of African descent all over the world. And I would notice that they would like not think that we had the same problems or they were literally like come touch my skin, like because we don't speak the same language. Like we have the same skin. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, there's such a lack of education. Like we're literally all over the world. And that started like my whole research into what is Pan-African? Um, who were the leaders of it? And what does it consist of? And I was like, this kind of fits along how I feel now after traveling and meeting all these people. And that's kind of like how it started. It didn't start with the love for Africa because I actually didn't want to go back. <laughs> It started with me actually traveling to other continents and seeing that we were everywhere. So have you gone back to Ghana since your first impression? I have not gone back to Ghana um, for several reasons. Ghana, I feel like Ghana is, is, is definitely like a leading country in West Africa. Um, but as a diasporan, I feel that a lot of policies that are in place are for the diaspora to come back and give back as far as travel GDP, I don't feel like there's actually a pull for the diaspora to come back and build with them. I feel like they want our money for a little bit and then they send us on our way. If you ever look at the facts of what it takes to become a business owner in Ghana, not as a Ghanaian, they like they want half a mil in capital, which I can go to Rwanda and put in a dollar. And so wow. there is there's the marketing side of back to Africa and then there's the realistic side of back to Africa because I don't want to live in Africa but still have my business run in the states if I go to Africa I want to pour into Africa and have my business in Africa um so it's a it's a whole situation <laughs> well I mean I'm glad that you said that because see actually for me you know we talk about the diaspora and I think that I'm very very I'm just, I'm, I'm just very comfortable that, you know, we have our mark all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I don't have to go back to Africa for them. Right. Um, but I know that they have this movement and it's, it's, you know, Ghana seems to have marketed this very well um, as far as the, you know, the, you know, come home. But I've mm -hmm. seen some comments um, that say it's Africa is far from me too. So as far as, you know, the whole black sit and things like that, Africa is not an option for me. I want to visit, but I, mm -hmm. I, I just don't get, can't see myself ever, you know, moving there. But um, I've seen comments like, yeah, don't believe the hype, you know, because it's not as easy as they make it sound. No, nothing ever is. And yes. I think that's another thing as like Pan-African think tank. We're a think tank for a reason because. Before we start shelling out all these great ideals, let's like actually touch down on the ground, work and like talk to people who actually are there. Because we all, as Americans especially, or just Western diaspora especially, we always have these ideals of what we want to bring to Africa or like, hey, why isn't it working? We're doing it here. Why can't we do it there? So the think tank, you get to go and like realistically assess these issues and 
a lot of things in Africa, even as a diaspora, we can come in and try to fix it. But like until the people who were born and raised there are aligned with fixing the issues as well, it, it's kind of hard. And especially I tell people when you go to Africa, you don't really know who your enemy is because everyone looks like you. Versus here in the Western world, we can fix things. So we, we kind of already know like the hierarchy and who wants to keep mm-hmm. our people oppressed. But when you go over there, it's like, it's a struggle. <laughs> That's a very interesting perspective. That's a very, very interesting perspective. And I guess it's true, you know, and mm-hmm. I've never been to Africa or I've never, um, you know, where, where everyone, like you said, everyone looks like you. Um, and, but I guess that you could say the same thing for, um, for the United States, you know, I mean, we have Clarence Thomas, um, he looks like us, um, but I, I really, I think Clarence Thomas hates black people. Um, yeah, but you can kind of do one conversation and kind of figure it out versus with in, in Africa, it's, I mean, everybody looks like you, it's. It's like, just think of your whole family reunion. That's the whole place, right? So we understand that there's people like all kin, all kinfolk and skinfolk, but yes. it's, um, it's way easier. It, it's a hundred times easier to decipher here than to decipher there. That is so, I love that. I love that. I love that perspective. And so for a lot of people that are listening um, I think that, you know, you just, I, I just am really in awe of how you just, you know, threw out all of those countries and like bit that bam. I'm like, dang, this girl 32. <laughs> 111 <laughs> countries to date. You said what? 111 countries to date. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and I think that, you know, sometimes when you, that's a privilege, you know, you're a privilege yeah. to be able mm-hmm. to have done you know, all of that, but you have some people listening who have not been outside of the United States, you know? And so when, when somebody hears you say, well, everybody looks like you. So sometimes it, it, it it takes you a little bit longer or it's hard (laughs) to tell who's with you and who isn't people Mm -hmm. that have never been to Africa or to an all black, you know, a country or space is like, wow, never thought about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I guess, for here in the United States, okay, so I'm I've not traveled to Africa yet. I mean, I'm I've done Central and South America. That's about the extent of my travel right now. But even coming to Panama is sort of a little bit of a culture shock because in the United States, it's black or white. You know, it's yeah. black or white, and you have those people in between, <laughs> but you definitely got black or white. And in the U.S., I don't care who you think you are. I don't care where you come from. If you're not white, you're not white. Right. Okay, that's it. I don't care if you're a little bit brown, you know, if you're dark, dark brown, it doesn't matter because you have that white right Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) So um, here it's not like that. And everybody here pretty much is Melanie and um, to some degree. And Mm -hmm. like we were speaking about earlier, how you identify yourself, you know? So there are people here that'll tell you, look, girl, they black as they want to be. And they'll tell you in a minute, I'm Panamanian. You know, like, don't 
don't classify me as black. Mm-hmm. When I when I when I learn about the history, you know, Afro Panamanian, you know, history and just the history of Panama of itself, it's like they have this whole kumbaya melting pot type thing. There's like this statue um, in Panama in like the center of the city in the area of the Sincera, um, where it's just people from different tribes to show that, you know, we, we are, you know, Native American, you know, we are Asian, we are African, you know, we are, I think they have a European there too. And they just want to be all inclusive where that's just not our, that's not our history and that's not our experience in the United States. So that's very Mm -hmm. interesting that you say that. So um, what else would you like to tell us about yourself? Um, You said something about a garment. You do uh, African clothes too? Yeah. So of the root.com, like literally OF the root, because it's called of the root because it's an Ankara clothing from Africa. Um, I don't make the clothes myself. There are women in East Africa that make the clothes and I'm just the person that connects with them and picks out which styles we're going to go with for the season. But I, until I go to Africa, people are always asking me to bring them stuff back. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. So how about I just start an online boutique? And if y'all really want it, y'all can just go online and buy <laughs> what's there. <laughs> So how long, and this is one thing I always, always want to know about, you know, online, online boutiques, like how long does it take to, to get things? Okay. So I go the bougie route. I don't like waiting on things. So I just use DHL. It takes me three to 10 days top to get my clothes from Africa. So all the clothes come to the U.S. and then whoever buys, I ship from the U.S. Wow, so girl, I need a duster. <laughs> I really want a duster, like a nice Afro um, print duster. Would your would your site have something like that? We only sell dresses. We because we was like, ah, oh, we just want to focus on one thing. So we just sell dresses for women. Um, there is a young lady in Panama that I'm very close with who also sells African clothing as well. And I actually just hooked her up with one of my connects in West Africa. So if you want something specific, I I can link you with her. She's in Panama City. Okay. Yes. I may have Nala. No, um Jessica, she has another boutique that she just started to um at the end of last year. And so she just connected with my person in Ivory Coast. So Jessica, oh gosh, please do. I mean, it's like I need to, I need to be in touch with her tomorrow. I mean, like right away, <laughs> right away. Okay. Um, I'm always doing things at the at the last minute, but that's amazing. So you decided now, so you like everybody's talking about bring me something back, bring me something back. I remember I am not a fan of uh Richard Kayasaki. Kayasaki, okay. the guy that wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. I'm not a fan of him personally. But a lot of years ago, I read his book. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, out of all the books that I've ever read, that that book made such an impression on me. And what he talked about was middle-class people who 
you know, if we get a raise, we like, okay, I'm going to get a new car. You know, I'm going to buy a bigger house. And it's like, as soon as we get more money, we spend more money. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we spend more money on stuff that don't make no money. And mm-hmm. he talked about the difference between his father, who was uh, a professor and his friend's father, who was just like, seemed like a straight up hustler. Okay. Mm-hmm. But one thing that he said was that, you know, rich people spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. And you should always be thinking about opportunities. And, you know, I never went on vacation the same way ever again. I didn't. Talk about African clothing. Now, I have a ton of <laughs> authentic clothes from Ghana, um, uh, Tanzania, and Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I used to go to the sisters at the church. And, you know, they were African and they had the connection. This was back in the day when stuff wasn't as easy to get. And I would say, right. you know, I would buy stuff from them. And, and back then when I started buying like a lot of African clothes, you know, a nice like, you know, two piece and a head wrap, you know, might run me a buck 50 or something like that. You know, that hard pressed material. Yeah. Um, and, but after I read his book, I said to that sister, I said, what if I buy 10? Mm -hmm. What if I buy 10 dresses from you? How much can I get the dresses for? So after, and I've never thought like that until reading that book. So I said, you know what? Everybody tells me how amazing my clothes are. I'm aware what I want to wear. And I would go and vend and sell, you know, or sell to my friends. My friends still wear those dresses today. So I like that you're, you're able to, you have to have a mind. You have to have the mind of an entrepreneur to, to recognize opportunities like the one that you just did with the, the African dresses. And then you're saying, I want to do a niche. I'm not going to be all over the place with this. So you're keeping it simple. (laughs) Absolutely. When did you start that business? Um, I started it in 2021 because I had to wait until the country reopened so I could like have my, um, I don't want, I call them my middleman because I don't have employees. I just have independent contractors. Exactly. Um, um, so the markets were open again because they were like countries were like locking down and they're opening back up. So um, summer of 2021, but then I officially launched in fall of 2021. Okay. And so you do all of these things like simultaneously. Yeah. Um, people think it's hard. It's, it's not because since I've only lived like this, like I don't know anything else, you know? So I don't know what it's like to be doing one thing at a time. I think I would probably make a lot of bad decisions if I only had one thing going on at a time. Cause I think my mind would like wonder. So um, every day I have time slots. Like what hours are we going to be doing this business? What hours are we going to be doing this business? But if I have something like uh, really pressing, then I'd be like, okay, well, today we're only working on this business and then tomorrow we'll work on the other one. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just normal to me. Like I'm, I'm, my planner is definitely something that I use and I definitely stick to it. And I also put in days in the months where it's like a free day where it's like anything I didn't finish, we'll just do it on this day. Wow. So you're very, you're very disciplined and you use your planner a lot. Yeah, I think it's because of my dad. My dad was a procrastinator. 
And that was one thing I didn't like. And so I was like, well, when I get grown, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do gonna stuff ahead like of time, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so, I mean, it's like from, for, it's, it's so wonderful to hear that. And I wish that I was more like that. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I used to be kind of more like that, but the busier I got, the, or the, mm-hmm. the busier I got, or, you know, as I started to do more things, like when I started to run the hair business and I was still working a full-time gig, you know, downtown, you know, certain things just started to slip because I just needed mm-hmm. that time to get things done. And I, I kind of got out of the rigidity, if that's a word, um, mm-hmm. but I kind of know what I have to do and I'm just the opposite. So mm-hmm. if it's a deadline, it's a deadline. And I work good on deadlines. Give me a deadline because I will get it done. I might be <laughs> done at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> when it's due <laughs> at nine, but I will get it done. But I think that one of the wonderful things for me in being an entrepreneur is I got to learn myself. I got to mm-hmm. learn myself. I got to learn my flow. And then I got to design my life around it for the most part. For example, yeah. my husband always say, okay, TMI. But, you know, I've worked for somebody all my life. And um, on January 5th at 4 p.m. in 2017 was the last day I ever worked for anyone. Okay. I, I, I hung up my corporate hat. Since then, what I noticed was that I like to go to the bathroom at a certain time. I've been constipated <laughs> all my life. I told you, TMI. Uh-huh. All my life, I've been constipated. <laughs> Until I stopped working for people. Because mm-hmm. then I realized what, what my natural timing was. Yeah. And I built everything around that. So mm-hmm. I did not start work until 11. So when meaning having to be out of my comfort zone and, and dealing with clients, I, I did, I don't, I don't see clients even to this day. I typically do not take appointments until 11 because I need that time in the morning just to be centered and to, and to let my, you know, just to be in my, in, in my groove. And, um, and to this very day, that's what I do. And ever since I stopped working for people, I've never had a problem with constipation ever again, ever mm-hmm. again. So I would build everything around my poop schedule. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> constipation will kill you, honestly. So, I mean, I just felt like it was actually even better health. So here's mm-hmm. the other thing. The other thing is this, I'm flowing my energy. I don't care. I don't care if I have to get it done. If my brain is not there, I know if there's something I got to get done and my brain, I need my brain for it. It needs to happen early in the day. It needs to happen early (laughs) in the day or in the middle of the night when I wake up and I have like amazing ideas and I know that I have energy and creative juices flowing. I take advantage Mm -hmm. of whatever those times are. I don't allow myself to have a sleep schedule. Mm -hmm. I operate based on my natural, um, you know, what, whatever, whatever my energy is. Mm-hmm. Do you ever do that as well? Um, I don't like working before 10. I've always hated school. Cause I didn't understand why we had to get up so early. Um, 
And so I took that with me. Like I, all of my phones, they're um, on do not disturb from, um, my work phones are on do not disturb from 8 p.m. to 10 a.m. And then my personal phone is on do not disturb from 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. So from eight to 10, that's like my time. When I tell you I piddle pal around, I piddle pal around. I do what I want to do for those two hours. If that is like taking forever uh, with my morning routine or just sitting and like eating a breakfast at the table, cooking a breakfast, or yes. if I want to just reply back to people on social media, that's my business. That's my time. Yes. yes. <laughs> so um, that's how it works. And then because, me waking up at eight and starting work, you're not going to get the best of me for the day. Like you'll get like, I say like maybe 75% of me. But if I wake up at 10 and like, if I start working at 10, like you're going to get a hundred percent me. It's just something where naturally um, mm -hmm. I work better when I get like all that I need from my sleep and all that I need from like decompressing and to be able to, you know, go through the day um so those two hours are crucial for me I turn down clients who want me to show up at like 8 a.m I'm like unless you're like doubling this pay <laughs> it's probably not gonna work for me <laughs> you say I'm gonna go with a no <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. something where did you get this from so okay so besides being a procrastinator tell me about your dad um my dad actually was self-employed entrepreneur as well and when I was 13 he would have me like under the table working for him for his real estate so I would like do all his like loan officer paperwork for him because I was a, just a faster typer you know my generation is a little bit different um yes. he he's done both he's been corporate he's also been self-employed right now he's corporate but he's making good money um he is a people person he is, um, he's not as travel, but he did start in the Air Force. He's, you know, he's lived in, in Panama and Italy and stuff like that for the Air Force. He got out of the Air Force when he found out my mother was pregnant with me. Um, the thing about my dad, though, is that he is someone who is supportive. Um, he lets you do what you want to do as long as you're, like, you're not going to hurt yourself. So all my little trips overseas, anything I've ever wanted to do, you know, he'll like, okay, you can do it. Um, but when you're ready to not do it anymore, let me know. Or uh, I don't know, just anything. I just I just recall like a few days ago, we were laughing about when I was in pre-K, I was in ballet and I got out of ballet because I didn't like the stockings. I told him after our last recital, I said, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't like the stockings. And he just said, okay, like he didn't fight me on it or like what I wanted to start, uh, what I wanted to like really start singing. I was like, I want to go to these singing classes. And he was just like, okay, when you don't want to do it anymore, just let me know. And I always wanted to you do that. You don't want to be wasting his money. Right. And, but, <laughs> you have to, but you have to have a parent who will be able to allow you to find out what you like. And I think that's exactly. what's so easy for me. Like my parents allowed me to find out what I like and what I didn't like. So by the time I was in high school, like I already had my life planned out of basically what I wanted to do. Uh, my dad is very chill, very calming. Um, he's an advisor. Like now they were older. I call him like every day. And if there's something I want to run by him, you know, he gives me, you know, the pros and cons of everything. 
he um I don't know. He's just he wanted to be he wanted to have a relationship with his daughters, especially where it was just like an open relationship. So um all the things that I learned, like I learned earlier, because he was willing as an adult to talk to me about these things. It, in my household, it never was stay in a child's place. That that was never said in my house. I it was know. if I wanted to know something, he would sit down and explain to me why it's done this way and why we need to do it this way and the backstory about things so then when I was a, uh, became an adult I was able to navigate and not like be lost um and so my dad is still that way um and you know he he still takes chances on me um like right now he was like okay you're older I'll give you my VA loan if you want to buy a house because when I was 20, he gave me my first, he gave me the down payment for a car. So I was like, did you give me a down payment for a car when I was in my 20s to see how I would take care of it? So now you feel like you can trust me with more. And he was like, yeah, just like God does. You wow. know? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so that's how my dad is. My mom, she's a teacher. She's totally different. She's um very sociable. She is just like, she she says it's, it's Nicole's world whatever she wants to do she can do it I just I don't know my parents they're just very different than I a lot of my friends parents they're just like I said very supportive and um they know that the sky is not the limit for me so well I think that they probably they probably trust you yeah and, you know I feel that way about you know my my daughter you know I, I feel like you know my daughter is the grown-up in the room <laughs> a lot of times, you know, when, when we're together and she is, and now that we're women, um, my daughter is 37, I think. Um, <laughs> I think she's 37. Um, but, you know, now that we're women, and, and, and even when she was younger, she, we're like best friends, you know, and the thing that we have in common is our sense of humor. And that definitely connects us. She and she and know like it's it's nothing for me to call her or her to call me and say, let me make you laugh. Because we know, you know what I'm saying? We know that we're gonna connect on on different things. But I'm so proud of her decision making. Um and and I've given her like the same thing. I would let her make let her make choices um and just kind of support her in those choices. And I remember mm -hmm. when she wanted to go to Spelman, uh, she wanted to go to Spelman and I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, Spelman <laughs> is so expensive. Uh, but she wanted to be a Spelman woman, honey. And uh -huh. um, she had done such a good job of being a student and a daughter that, you know, I just felt like wherever she wanted to go, I would make it happen. And I took her to Spelman, uh, me and her dad and her one of her best friends. We went on a road trip. We saw, because she had got accepted at Spelman, Clark. Um, she got accepted everywhere she went. Uh, Hampton, ODU, um, and somewhere else. But somewhere else. But anyway, she got accepted everywhere that she wanted to go. So we took her, we, we took her to see. And I love the way she processed where she was going to go. And I'm telling you, I was happy. <laughs> she decided that she wasn't going to go to Spelman because she wasn't comfortable with the security. Mm. Um, she said, they don't have real cops there. I hadn't noticed that. 
And then mm. she said, and I think that for all that money, the room should be nice. Yeah. And she said, and Spelman's curriculum is kind of limited. And I'm not really sure what I want to do. And she said, if you're going to pay all that money, and then if I decide to change my major, and then I got to stay more time. And then she mm. said, ah, you know, and then Spelman is so far away. And if I have to, you know, they, they shut down during the holidays and getting back and forth from Atlanta to Northern Virginia. And, and then she said, um, and, and I, and she said, and I don't want to start my adult life in bondage. Mm. She did not want to have loans. She did not mm -hmm. want to have to be bound to student loan debt, you know, because right. I had told her from the Gideon, I'm going <laughs> to pay whatever I can pay, but whatever you can pay, you got to pay. So mm -hmm. if she could get a scholarship or she could get a little loan, then she had to do that. And then what I told her, I said, you take that money you got and you spread it out over the, mm -hmm. the semesters the number of months in the semester and you handle your business. I'm paying right. everything else. That should be enough for you to live your life, you mm -hmm. know? And she made good, she made good choices. She finally decided on ODU because it was closer to home, but it wasn't at home and she could have mm -hmm. her car her freshman year. Okay. So I was, I was pleased because of course it was a whole lot less expensive, but mm -hmm. I was very proud that she was able to make those choices for herself. So I imagine that your parents are the same way. Are you an only child? No. Um, so my dad got remarried. So there's seven of us total, but growing up, it was only four of us between my mother and my dad. Okay. Awesome. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Uh, from Dallas. When I was 10, I moved to Los Angeles, um, Pasadena, California. So like where the Rose Bowl is. And then um, I came back my last year of high school and then came back to Dallas my last year of high school. And then I went to college at University of Houston. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so how did you end up getting, I know you mentioned that your, your father was stationed briefly in Panama, mm -hmm. but what is, I met you because of my Panama connection. Yeah. And so what is it that, that, it made you interested and, and brought you to Panama. Yeah, um, I actually just wanted to go to Panama. Um, a lot of places I go to are based off like I find out people are born there that I've ran into or they have some type of memory. And so I remember this picture of my dad when he was like maybe 1920 when he was in Panama. And I was like, huh, I get, I'm going to go there and see, you know, kind of like since he hasn't been a lot of places, want to see what he's seen, you know? Yeah, I want to see what you saw. Right. And so yeah. I went and um, it was everything he said it would be. It was so crazy. Even though it was like 20, 25 years later, um, it was everything he said it was. And, uh, you know, we look like them until we open our mouths. No one knows that we're yes. not Panamanian. Um, yes. It's warm. I have to be someplace warm. It's um it's built up because of I guess of their close connections with the U.S. um I don't know it's just like a it's it feels like more free you know and so um that made me want to go to Panama the first time and then I ended up going to Panama the second time to connect with an Afro-Panamanian organization 
<laughs> so me and my so dad. When was the first time you came to Panama? The first time I went to Panama, maybe 2019. I okay. think it was 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the second time I went to Panama, uh, bully, it was 2022. So that was my second time. And so uh, now me and my dad have been talking. We're like, we try to figure out if we want to like get something small in Panama or Colombia. But uh, we're leaning more towards Panama. So, yeah. <laughs> that is cool. So, so you, when you came in 2019, is that when you met the organization that you work with here? No, I came in 2019 to just be nosy and shoot a music video. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so, um, but then I went in 2022 to meet the organization. Okay. So tell us about that. Tell us about that collaboration. Um, so Pan-African Think Tank, our focus is to like uh have partner organizations around the world in different countries. Um, we don't have chapters, we just prefer our partner organization. And um, after being in Panama in 2019, I looked at the whole Central America and thought of like, hey, what is probably like one of the best, um, I guess, Spanish speaking countries that have a lot of Afro-Panamanians and I feel that could possibly be easier to move and shake in. And so Panama was at the top of my list. I mean, they take the dollar and all that. So it was like, okay, things, I mean, Panama City reminds me of Miami, so yes. <laughs> I was already like, okay, this definitely can be uh, be be a, a city or organization that we can probably actually do something. Like, I don't like to partner with organizations that we're going to be in a stalemate. I just don't like that. So um, I got a chance to meet with Red De Hovenis. They are Afro-Panamanian youth organization, and they met me on like the Friday, on Good Friday. No, Good Thursday. I guess you call it Good Thursday. And when I tell you, we went into the meeting and then we went out of the meeting, like the city was shut down. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I was so happy that they took the time to still meet with me because me not understanding how important Easter is, you know? Yeah. Oh, everything <laughs> shuts down. So I rented a co-working space in um, downtown Panama and we met, um, talked about what are some of the issues that Afro-Panamanians are facing um how we can potentially collab on something and then since i have a menstrual care company called Wombly, we donated some menstrual pads as well that they were going to pass out around the province um so that's how that meeting with and because of that meeting we now have an afro-panamanian entrepreneurship workshop where we are uh, taking these entrepreneurs through a 10-week business workshop so at the end of the workshop they have a business plan they also have a pitch deck and they also get to pitch um, live as well. So they can kind of like get practice and whatnot. Um, we've been working. <laughs> we had a meeting last week with um, the basically the Small Business Association of Panama government. And um, all I'm going to say is the excuses to why Afro-Panamanians cannot be helped is... is um, it's, a, it's really uncalled for and flabbergasting. And as an American, I'm not here for it, but um, it's 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 really a struggle and it's really sad, but yeah. Wow, so it's just like, just like in other words, this is not necessary. Yeah, Um. so like, the census just came back again. Um, well, the census came back stating that Afro-Panamanians are 33% of the population. Um, 
indigenous Panamanians, they have so much that they already get. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a part of the oppression Olympics. I'm not going to say anything like regarding that, but uh, let's say for one example. So one example was we don't mind giving grants, but the uh, people have to work in either or have a, a ideal for innovation or tech. Beautiful. That's nice. I understand that, but we need to peel back the layer and understand why Afro-Panamanians don't come up with businesses and innovation in tech. It's because of the racial discrimination, institutionalized racism of the school system. So it's, it's, it's like you, you want to say you're going to give something, but you're not solving the problem on why Afro-Panamanians are not able to build these things. You know, it starts in the school system. Unless you're going to educate Afro-Panamanians on STEM, until you do that, you shouldn't you shouldn't only give grants to people who are in innovation and tech, if that makes any sense. It should be well, if it's a let school me school ask school. you this. Mm -hmm. So in 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 meeting with them, like, you know, where do you think your support is with regard to Afro-Panamanians? You know, what what do what do Afro like okay, so you went into this meeting. Mm -hmm. You went into this meeting and you were with other, you were with Afro-Panamanians, correct? Mm -hmm. Did they come away with the same perception that you did? No, no. Um, I tell people all the time, I said, as however you want to feel, Black Americans, I feel like we are one of the only groups that are not going to um, give courtesy to oppression. You know, other groups, if someone says, oh, we can't do that, it's like they don't want to step on their toes. They're like, oh, okay, we'll try again another time. Black Americans are like, F why? this. Why? Um, we don't know no why. is lying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because we have the data. Yes. Look, they say, oh, no, sir. Oh, no, sir. You're going to have to and come so back. In the back. meeting, I had to be quiet. Yes. And after the meeting, I was just like, hey, like, this is BS. Like, because yes. they had also just passed a bill for Afro-Panamanians. The new bill that just got passed, um, basically for human rights and all that. It just got passed in Panama. And um, so Pan-African Think Tank, we come in, like, we built the course from top to bottom, 100%. Like, we built this whole course. And so we're like, okay, well, we don't, we don't, we're not an organization that gives aid in the sense of we are a partner organization. You bring 50%, we bring in 50% because we've learned that when you give away 100%, people don't really cherish it. So yeah. we are about teaching people how to fish. So we was like, okay, we'll come in with the whole course, but we need your country to support its own people. Like these are Afro-Panamanians. I'm an American. I've already came in with the chorus, like 50-50, we got to do something. And so um, the funny thing about this all, which is going to make you laugh because I think you'll understand, is that at the end of the meeting, they basically said that they would like to have our course because our course is more in-depth than their entrepreneurship course. But didn't you just say you weren't giving no money to the Afro-Panamanians? Exactly. Well, what you supposed to just give it to them? Give it to them for their indigenous courses. I have no problem with anybody. But as a Pan-African think tank, this is for <laughs> people of African descent. So basically, I felt like, hey, you're not going to take another 
basically black person's work like you know they try to pass off other people try to do in the states and so i thought it was funny that you our course is good enough but our participants aren't good enough that's a no for me Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. To learn more about us, Check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. It's a tough place. I think that it's interesting. I live in Panama and I think that it's interesting that I think that some Panamanians feel sorry <laughs> for North Americans and, you know, those of us who have, um, you know, are from the United States because mm -hmm. of obvious issues that we have. And, you know, sometimes I just find myself, I said, mm, there's no need to pity us. You know, yeah. it's like, we know what's up. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I, I am not here. Like you said, you were quiet. And I feel like it's a fine line um, when you're in someone else's home, you know, yeah. and I feel like I'm here and I am in someone else's home. Um, Panamanians are very, um, they're, it, the, 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 the character is just different. You know, yeah. the personality, the way that we express, um, mm -hmm. the way that we see things is totally different. Doing business in Panama has been quite the experience for me. Um, there are some situations in Panama where I have just not been able to. I just can't go with it. I can't go for that. 
Okay, I just can't. You know, <laughs> where there's other times that I yield because I am in a new place and it's it I feel like it's called for. But it is a fine line. I mean, it's like I support businesses here and I'm very careful about saying, you know, black owned because it's just not the same, you know, here. They they believe that the um, like I said, the statue that represents all right. of these different well, that's um, called racial people. democracy. Huh? That's called racial democracy. Racial democracy, that's what it's called. Okay. Yeah, they do the same thing in Brazil where it's like they don't want to, they want it to feel like it's just a melting pot. So they call themselves a racial democracy. But then for me, I think that, you know, we know racism. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, we are, we know racism. And at the end of the day, it's like when you come to a place like this and, you know, you know, people are saying black, you know, black people are saying, well, we just not like them here. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, where are the black people on TV? You know, why aren't your, why is the, is the brown, the dark skin Afro Panamanian seemingly not represented in the novella? In the, mm -hmm. in the in the soap operas that they have on the TV on the on the the, the newscasters, none of them are black. Whereas we're so sensitive to that that if you got a morning liner and ain't <laughs> nobody on there got no color, you are not my news channel. Okay, yes. so trying to balance that, and you know, it's like. You know, I'm not I'm not here to tell you how to feel about yourself or your environment. However, comma, there are some things that I think are blatantly obvious to us that are not to racial democ people that live in racial democracies. Yeah, I think there's also a fine line when it comes to like you telling me one thing and then you thinking I'm boo-boo the food. Um, so, that part. Yes. I, I, that's why I said as because I've been to so many countries, I know when to just be quiet. Yes. And if I have a reservation, I'll just say it after I've stepped out and then try to um understand. Yes. Why we have to move this way. Um I prefer to not work with governments at all. I think they move too slow, but um in being a team player, if there is someone who wants to go that route, I, I, you know, I, I try to be that team player and understand and um, I'm not happy with it, but I mean, government's just want to be seen. Yeah. You know, sometimes governments just want that photo op. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find that too, you know, that we're, you know, sometimes governments, I, I know it happens in the U.S., you know, government, um, you know, representatives, they, they just want that photo op. They just want to be seen at the right place in the right time with the right people. Not to say that they're really going to do what they said they were going to do um, right. or really, really help. So it's a fine line. And yeah. I appreciate you, you know, still being willing to work with the situation. There are organizations and there are people in Panama who are absolutely aware 
um, of the disparities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, um, those are some organizations to connect with. And even with those organizations, they'll tell you, listen, it's an uphill battle. Yes, but yeah, I hear that. More people seeing, we have more people seeing the light today than yes. we have in the past. Um, and so they see it as you know progress. So we just had the census done here, right? And um, just recently, did Afro make it to the census? Right, and that's that's the that was the the information that I got, and that's like I said, just um. In April, they passed the bill, another bill for Afro-Panamanian. So I, I do have to look at that sometimes. I, I have to tell myself that these countries are in the 1980s um, when it comes to civil rights. Like there's some countries I've been to, even when I was in South Africa, I had to remember like, hey, apartheid just ended in 94. So they're still like in the 1970s. When I, I, I'm talking like in civil rights, right, in America. Yes. So whereas yes. we're in 2023, you know, some of these countries are doing what was done in the 70s, what was done in the 80s. So I have to remember that, that, um, like I said, no matter how much people feel, how people feel about Black Americans, Black Americans pave the way when it comes to um, civil rights and movements. And um, yeah. I, I, I definitely, I definitely can agree with that. And we are survivors. Um, we are survivors and we are thrivers. And I think one of the biggest issues that we have is the control that media has over individuals' opinions about us and Mm -hmm. the world in general, you know, um, you know, prior to the internet and being able to, you know, research beyond your television um, or having to go to the library. I mean, you're young. You don't remember having, if you wanted to know something, baby, baby. Yeah, I had that encyclopedia. <laughs> you had what you say? You had encyclopedias. That's right. Uh, my dad bought all 26 of them for all the alphabets. Uh-huh. I remember <laughs> the encyclopedias. I mean, you had to go out your way yes. for knowledge. And now it's like, wow, really? So, that all of Africa, when people used to say Africa, you know, back in the day before the internet, before being able to see live images, before being mm-hmm. for before being able to research history right there in the privacy of your own home, at your computer at any time you want, you thought of, you know, deteriorating children with flies mm-hmm. flying around them. Because yeah. that's what all these great nonprofits would show you right. when they show you, you know, Africa needs your money, you know. And so now we have awareness. And I think that you're wise and just being gentle in the way that your knowledge is applied um, and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Uh, that's one thing that I definitely, one model that I definitely follow in my life is keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is that you want to show young Afro-Panamanians something different. You know, you want to show, um, you want to show and assist them in being amazing, you know, entrepreneurs. Um, And I think that, you know, talking to you, I probably haven't talked to anyone else who would be a better example of that. You know, I mean, so you've never had a job. 
I've regular. never worked a nine to five. Never worked the nine to five. Well, you know who else never worked the nine to five? <laughs> Patty <laughs> LaBelle. Patty oh. LaBelle never worked a job in her life. That girl been singing <laughs> for money since day one because that's what she wanted to do. Patty LaBelle never had a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times I feel like there isn't there isn't anything wrong with having a job. Mm-hmm. The way that I see having a job is you get to learn um, on somebody else's dime. Yeah. So there are the benefits and, you know, it, it, it kind of goes both ways, you know, mm-hmm. for me. And I think that for you to be able to get to this point in your life and to be so successful, never having had a job is extraordinary. And I think that more people need to see them, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and more people need to understand that if you are that gifted and talented, that you can be someone like you, that you need to understand you need to make your coins and you need yeah. to be very careful about how you manage them. You know, mm-hmm. how you manage them. Like, are you paying into, into social security? Will you have enough to, you know, uh, retire and live? comfortably when you are your own person you have to make those choices and decisions for yourself and i see people all the time that aren't ready to do that nicole they're not Mm -hmm. ready to do that so they spend their younger their younger lives hustling looking for that million you know the whole time and then they get to the point where they're not able to do that grind anymore and they don't have no money saved up. They don't have no social security. So what do you think about that point of view? Um, so my um I'm like not a fan of like the whole 401k and the social security and savings, only because I know that it's tied to the government. And I just feel like since I'm 32, that by the time it's time for me to have it, it's gonna be gone. Like <laughs> right. all the baby boomers are gonna take it. Um, but as far as having a plan, um, for your older life, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think you, it, it also changes, you know, like, do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? And you need to have more money saved. You need to be, you know, uh, more frugal with your spending or have a lot of great ideals that are making you money. Uh, as for me and my plan, um, just started getting into real estate. So um, that's what it's going to be. I don't I don't ever see myself having like a 401k or anything like that. If anything, I'll just borrow against my life insurance. I've had life insurance since I was like 25. Okay. Uh, whole life insurance. So by the time I'm 40, it'll be paid off. Um, and so um, I've always been a, like a I got me type of person. I've never mm-hmm. done like the whole assistance thing and all that. Like I just figure out a way to make it happen. Um, I'm not a big spender though. That's the thing. Like the the big my big purchases are traveling. That's it. If I had to pick a vice, that's my only vice. I think in my twenties, my vice was shopping, but I mean now I have my own boutique, <laughs> so I definitely have no reason to shop. You know, <laughs> so yes. um, that's really it. Um. I would just say, like, just have a savings plan, put money back. I know I have a portion of my bills that's like, you know, you have like your water bill, your light bill. I'll, I have a bill that's called savings. So, like, I make my savings a part of my bills. Like, oh, part my. Of my uh, 
I also like I have the same car I've had since 2016 though like I'm not into the newest fancy things um I don't have to have the latest flat screen tv I use my phones and so they do not work anymore I'm not going to go by yes. the next time you know that's not me um I don't know I've never been like a flashy person um I've never had to be flashy I mean my my presence already commands attention and that's not being arrogant like literally when I go when I travel around the world like I'll be with someone they're like oh my goodness you know everyone's looking at you because my presence commands attention I could be in like sweats and people still gonna you know want to know what yeah. I'm doing what I'm about to you're do. exactly right <laughs> so um you're exactly right and I'm looking at you and you don't have on any makeup and you're not all dressed up but you're just absolutely glowing and beautiful and you I can see that you walk in the room and everybody's gonna <laughs> at you you know so, and it, it, it's it, it's about your inside you know how right. you feel inside you know mm -hmm. and your confidence is just amazing like do you do you date or do you do you see yourself getting married is it hard to find um suitable partners that are ready for somebody like you at 32 so like I've my whole life any guy I've ever dated they've always wanted to marry me and I've always said no I'll call myself a runaway bride um <laughs> and that's simply because I think that people like the person that you are now and I think that you have to really know yourself to know who you're going to be in 10 years and I always tell them that I don't think you're going to like who I'm going to be in 10 years I said because if you think I'm doing something now I'm going to be doing a lot in 10 years and um I feel that maybe your ego may be a little fragile um I, and then I always look at like okay well I like them in 10 years like I ask I always ask you know my mates are you what you're doing right now is this all that you want to be doing or if they're like oh yes like I love what I'm doing I'm like yeah, yeah that's not gonna work for me because I'm not gonna grow and then you're gonna be here then you're gonna be resentful and I'm like so I I tend to think about all of that um my last relationship so basically when I'm when I'm dating a guy I actually don't waste my time I have what is called a matrimonial bio data Indians Nigerians they do this it's basically a marriage resume it tells you everything about me, what type of family I come from, down to like what type of food I eat. Like, am I a vegetarian or not? You know, how much do I weigh? How much do I make? A little snippet about me, a little snippet about what I want in a guy. Um, do I drink? Do I smoke? Like, what do I like to do? And so I just go through that list with someone. Someone tells me back, you know, the same things. And hey, if it don't match, I say, seem like you're a great guy. We're heading in two different directions. Uh, but thank you. So I disqualify people within like 24 hours, really, because when you know where you're heading and you know what you're looking for, you're not you're not just out here just with randoms. Um, I also have guys who I think my last guy, like he really adored who I was as a person. So I was very smart. Um, he could see himself growing with me. I matched up to the things that he does. Um, and so it, it it's funny. So men and women do this they they like you and they like how you are until you're that way with them so he loves my confidence he loves that I'm very strong will powerful uh ceo boss woman but when i then tell him what i'm not gonna do then there's a problem <laughs> you are so right girl <laughs> so it's you like right. some people it, love it, the idea of you 
that's the thing a lot of people sometimes like the ideal um but they or they or they think that they can kind of like take you as you are and then mold you into what works for them but I tell people I say I'm not moldable I'm already who I'm going to be um you either like me for me or don't and so my problem is either guys knowing that I'm going to surpass them or me being fearful that I'm going to surpass him so much that he becomes resentful. So <laughs> it, I it's think, a I, I still think with, with all of that, and I think it's amazing, <laughs> but <laughs> I think with all of that, you'll meet somebody that goes beyond, that takes you beyond the, the paper the I, I do and and, and mm -hmm. I think that the thing the thing in in life you ought to um we just read um a, a, a unapologetically ambitious and mm -hmm. Shelly I can't think of her last name but I met her recently in my book club read her read her book and she's a lot like you I mean she had her life planned out from the very beginning and and I said but where do you where do you have the organic part you know, and so there were some parts of her life where she, I mean, she bought a coat when she was 19 and she bought that coat and she bought it based on her still being able to fit into it when she was nine months pregnant. Because <laughs> she planned on being pregnant and, or having a baby by 30 or something and she figured she still had the same coat. I admire people that can do all that thinking <laughs> Because, you know, for me, you know, I, I am I am a lot more organic um, when it comes to when it comes to, to when it comes to life. And mm -hmm. I love feeling things, you know, I love feeling I love feeling different things. And one of the best things to to for me to feel is connections with other mm -hmm. people. Um, and like my husband, girl, I mean, we've been together for 30 years and I think that a little bit, I knew that there might come a time when nine years between us was nine years between us. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like when you have that many years between you and your partner, it's like, okay, well, there was a time, dude. <laughs> When I was nine, and your ass was 18. Okay, <laughs> inappropriate. <laughs> inappropriate. And then you get to different spaces in your life where, you know, I'm 30 and you're 39. And I don't really feel that. But then I'm 40 and you're 49. And there's times when I feel the age because you're changing all the time, right? And there's, there's like, there's one point in our lives where we're all grown up. We're all grown up. Like my, my, my mom, I never really got to know my mom as a grown up. She died too early, but I appreciate the fact that me and my daughter have grown up. We're grown up women at this point. So it doesn't matter that she's 37. It doesn't matter that she's my daughter. We are grown women. But then there's those times when there is definitely a disconnect because right. of the age but you work through it. I've been with him for 30 years. And um, I just think that even some of the 
times that were really, really hard. And sometimes I expect it to be hard because of that or different because of that age different. And they weren't necessarily pleasant. But at the end, and at 30, and I, I shouldn't say at the end, but at, after 30 years, I look back on all of that. And I know that it has made us what we are today. And what we are today is a super successful couple that mm -hmm. I don't claim any success without him. And he don't claim many without me. Because when we both met, we barely had two nickels to rub together and we have built a life together. So, you know, at some point you might feel different about it, but I think that what you do right now is great for you. Mm -hmm. I do. I think what you, I think you're, you're amazing. So let me ask you this before I, I, I let you go. Do you see yourself possibly being a um, an expat one day? Could we could we convince you to expatriate to um, Panama? Or where um, would you be? I'm sorry. Uh, or where, if you decided that you might want to be an expat, where might that place be? Uh, I yeah, I want a house like really bad in Mauritius. Uh, my dad knows. Like by the time I'm fifty, I need to be in my riches. Like, <laughs> and to, where it where you want to be? My riches. Where's that girl? <laughs> my riches is they call it East Africa. It's really like Southern Africa, but it is a country, an island country on the eastern part of Africa. So you have South Africa. Then next door you have Madagascar. This is like going to the east. And then after Madagascar, you have this island country called Mauritius. And um, as soon as I touched down there, I think I went in, I went in 2020. As soon as I touched down my riches, I was just like, yeah, uh, this is where I need to be. So my family knows they're like, oh, this girl wants to move to my riches, she wants to move to my riches. So this is an African country. This is a country that is easy for me to do business in, easy for me to start a business there, easy for me to buy property there, to get a green card. It's just... Um, don't tell anyone, but it is the number one most livable country in Africa. Don't let the word get girl, out. Listen, I'm taking I'm taking notes. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, girl, send me that spelling when we get done. Wow. Yes. Um, so it's a it's a it's a Creole country. When I say Creole is a mix of African and Indian, so like East African and Indian. Um, it used to belong to I believe the French and maybe even the UK at some point, but I know they speak English, they speak French, they speak uh, Mauritius Creole. Um, I look just like them. The weather is beautiful year round, um, very tropical, and just it's just it's just a vibe. Um, and then if I have another house, then it'll probably connect. right. Uh, if I have another place, it'll probably be in Panama. It really uh, it originally was going to be in Rio de Janeiro. But they recently are like on this hate America campaign. So they changed the visa requirements and all this. And I was like, I'm not going through all that. There's other great um, countries on this side of the hemisphere. So um, that's the plan. So probably something small in Panama, but I definitely want something like a big house or something in Mauritius. That is awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, it was just amazing. Uh, I mean, uh, honestly, amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I just think that you're, you're amazing. I think that 
deeper, I mean, you're, you're so much wiser than your years. And what I like about you is that you know who you are. You yeah. know who you are. Girl, look, let me tell you something. It takes people 50 years. It takes people more than 50 years sometimes to figure out who they are. Usually people are just really starting to find out who they are, like around 40. You know, mm-hmm. but for you to to know who you are and know who you want, and I could tell by the look on your face when I was telling you all my kumbaya story about you know my thirty years being with my husband and this and you're like, okay, girl. I there. I've I've told my dad when I was seven. He was like, I was like, I prefer success over family. I was like, I really can go my whole <laughs> life without kids and a husband. And to this day at thirty two, I really still can go my whole life. Like I told my dad, if I have to do a marriage, it's going to be a marriage of convenience. So like you're marrying, um, with the ideal of you know starting businesses and growing wealth. I'm um yeah. I think because I've been so loved as a child and just. I told my dad, I think sometimes I had too much love. So, <laughs> yeah, when you were saying that, I was like, that's nice. <laughs> well, I want to know you when you're 40. That's all I know. I want to know you when you're 40 and when you're and when you're 50. And I got you on tape today, girl. But I think you're amazing. And I think that you know what the plan for your life is. And that's important. That yes. I mean, that's important. And I think it's awesome that your your parents loved you the way that they did, because when you love your kids like that, can't nobody come along and tell them, oh, you pretty. And then they lose their damn mind, you know, mm-hmm. because, listen, my parents been lifting me up. My family's been lifting me up and loving on me all my life. So this is not new to me. You know, so you have that, too. I mean, just that love, the confidence that love can put into a child is absolutely amazing. And. They must be very proud of you. So tell me, how can people find you? What is the preferred method for you to be contacted? Yeah, so if you just want to be nosy and see what I'm doing personally, you can find me on all socials at Missy Nicole. So that's M-S-C-N-I-C-H-O-L-E. If you want to get involved or help with Pan-African Think Tank, that is Instagram and Twitter. It's at Pan-African-T-T. We're online at panafricantt.org. If you want to know more about where you can purchase our books, um, it's panafricanpublishing.com. On socials at panafricanph. If you want to buy some feminine care, natural feminine care, that's Wombly. So W-O-M-B-I-L-E-E.com. And we're at Wombly on all socials. If you're looking for Ankara dresses, we're ofthe-root.com. Or at Shop of the Root on all of our socials. Um, if you're looking Shop for at the Root, I love that. Yes, of the Root. Um, and um, cnicole.com if you just want to see my music or cnicole on anywhere you're listening to or anywhere you listen to music. I do urban pop, um, which is more like fun, upbeat stuff, and I also do tribal trill, which is music that talks about our um, our history of people of African descent. So. And where do you find the music part? Yeah, so Nicole. See Nicole on all anywhere listen to music, whether that be Spotify, um, Tidal, Apple, wherever you listen to music. Um, and uh yeah, we talk about the history. So have a one song called Ghetto, basically talking about everything that people who are not of African descent call ghetto, but it's actually our culture. Uh, have a song called King, where it's uplifting all of our men of African descent. So it's just stuff like that. 
Wow, I love it. Absolutely. I've just, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I know we're going to be on together um later yeah. on in the week and I'll I'll be a part of the of the think tank and I'm so honored that um you have invited me to do so and I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to spending more time with you also Nicole so thank you so much mm -hmm. my love thank you for having me and um supporting our um entrepreneurship workshop as well thank you and there you have it Yes, yes, yes. I told you she is amazing. Is she not amazing? It's like <laughs> I learned some stuff from her. Um, we also had a great time doing our Pan-African um think tank. Um, definitely you want to follow her everywhere that she mentioned. Her uh, website for the Pan-African think tank is panafricantt for think tank.org. Definitely want to follow her um there and see how you can support her movement, her music, her books. It's just so much that she's doing. I'm looking forward to actually meeting her in person. Um, and for us, we are going to be on the 18th. We are going to be having a celebratory sunset cruise on the bay here in Panama City. And we'll be celebrating a lot of um, good news. We'll be celebrating um, our two-year anniversary of our tours. Uh, May marks two years. We'll be celebrating yours truly for living to be 59 years old. That's right, baby. I'm going to be 59 on May 10th, and we will be celebrating that as well. On May 18th, It's we're going to have live music. We're going to have a... Um, a preview of the Afro Moda um, fashion show that we're going, that uh, Black Expats in Panama and ITA Global is sponsoring. Um, this is going to be a whole lot. There's going to be food. There's going to be drinks. Um, there's going to be dancing. Um, we'll have a large group in uh, on our Black Expats in Panama Cultural Relocation Tour number 19. And um, so if you want to come hang out with us, celebrate our birthday, my birthday, and all of our accomplishments um, and happiness, please do um, check with me on any of our, our social media and grab yourself up a ticket. It is going to be $100 for the general public. Again, this is on May 18th. And I think it's, we set and sail at about 6 o'clock. And it's on May 18th. However, comma, if you are a Beat Community Platform subscriber, then you will get a discount. So if you want to, you get a $10 discount off that price. So if you want to come, send me an email. Um, and you can send an email now to charlotte at blackexpatsinpanama.net. And I will send you out a special invoice that will reflect your discount um, uh, rate for being an amazing supporter. We appreciate our Beat Community Platform members. If you have not received your shirt and or your hat, if you are a VIP, please let us know. We now have boots on the ground in the United States to make sure that those items are mailed out to you timely. We just always want you to know how much we appreciate your support. Um, the Beat Community Platform um, in addition to, you know, providing information and availability for you to create and be a part of groups outside of 
social media platforms like the Instagram and uh, the Facebook group, you are the ones that help us to continue to promote so many community events um, that, that are free to the public, also keeping the prices down on our relocation tours. And just stay tuned, work with us guys, because we are constantly improving um, what we're doing. So I appreciate your support. And the ones and the people who are in the, the Beat community platform that live here in Panama, they reap most of the benefits because you get all kind of discounts to all of the events that we do that are paid. You get all, you automatically get discounts for that. You know, when things come up and we have a chance to, you know, give out, uh, you know, hotel stays and uh, catamaran cruises, they are the first people that get those items. And so please do stay in touch and make sure that you are maximizing your subscription and don't hesitate to give us a call if you have any questions about your benefits. So didn't mean to go on so long about that, but just wanted to say, listen, I'm going to close out today with Oh Sheila by Ready for the World, which is what um, Nicole, one of Nicole's favorite songs from the 80s in this case, that song came out about, was released in 1985. Um, as always, I want to thank my main man, Dal Spears, Elite Conversations, Podcast Media, and also um, Devin Austin and Riley Jackson at Blackship Radio for um, giving us uh, an avenue by which to put our voice out in the world. Um, follow us everywhere, Black Expats in Panama, and um, just remember, hey, I love you. I love you. I love you. And there is just nothing you can do about it. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Glassboro, New Jersey, right here on BlackShipRadio.com. I will see y'all next week. Peace and love.